Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. Whether it's with someone close to you or someone you just met, sharing your faith can be difficult, but our God knows the challenge and His Word contains wisdom for how to meet that challenge. In our current series, Living an Intentional Life, we're learning about the five eyes of evangelism. Identify, invest, intercede, inform, and invite. These five steps will help you to build a biblical strategy for bringing the gospel to others and watching for God to multiply your efforts. We're glad you're listening and we hope this series will renew your commitment to spread the good news. Now let's listen in. And precious name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. Church, I'm so excited to be continuing this Living an Intentional Life series. The first week in this series, we talked about identifying the people in our life that God was calling, awakening our hearts to. And then we talked about last week of how we invest in those people. And today we're going to talk about a little bit of identify, a little bit of invest, and how the intersection between the two is our interceding for them in Prayer. And I want to start by showing you this quote by D.L. Moody. This is what it says, if we lead one soul to Jesus Christ, we may set a stream in motion that will flow on when we are dead and we are gone. And when you see a quote like that, you've kind of heard this said in the first two weeks is, what does it look like when we're faithful with one? What will God do to multiply and cultivate that into many? And when you think about this, when you think about D.L. Moody, for, ex- for example, when you see a quote like this, you're like, well, what did D.L. Moody's life look like? Well, Billy Graham was quoted to say, as many of the great movements in America, the movements of God, you can trace back to D.L. Moody. In fact, if you think about D.L. Moody on a practical level, he, he saw the circle of influence he had in his friends that were close to him, his family, and his just small circle of influence, and he saw the lost people in his life. And you know what he did? He took a piece of paper, and he wrote down 100 names of the people in his circle of influence who did not know Jesus. And he committed by putting that in his pocket and prayed for those names every single day. He prayed for those names every single day, and by the time he had died, 96 of those 100 had come to know Jesus. And the four that didn't came to his funeral. And by hearing the testimony of D.L. Moody's life, all four of them accepted Jesus on that day. Now that is a powerful testimony of faithfulness and interceding for others that hopefully, maybe, just maybe, the story of D.L. Moody's life would move us here today that maybe we wouldn't pray for 100, but maybe we would take the list that we started the series with, the five, and we would put that in our pocket and we would commit to pray. But even that, even we just isolated and said, who is the one 
but I'm going to toil for every day and intercede in prayer. And hopefully from this today's passage and from today's message, we will leave here with a practical way to do that, a why and a how, and then we'll do it together. So today's passage, we'll be looking at Acts 1.8. This is what the word of God says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When you look at this passage, this comes at the beginning of Acts. And if you've been reading along with the Daily Step as a church, we're reading through the book of Acts to go along with this series right now. What you'll see is this verse right here is the theme verses Acts. As you see Jesus say this to his disciples, as you read through Acts, you see this played out. You see them being his witnesses, being the testimony to what God has done in these places. It's literally the building of the church and the, the going out of the disciples and it's spreading and the gospel spreading. But the context of this happening is the disciples ask Jesus, hey, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Jesus says, already He's died, he's rose again, and they're asking him, hey, are you about to restore the physical kingdom now? Are you gonna do this physical government now? And Jesus says, hey, 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 don't worry about the when. What I want you to worry about is the what until I return. Don't worry about the when I return. Worry about the what until I return. And what is the what? He says, you will receive power, so there's something you receive, and you will be my witnesses. And this word witnesses is literally translated martyr, but a better way for us to think about it here is the idea of testimony. You will give like a witness on a stand giving a testimony. And what he's calling the disciples to is to testify what they saw Jesus do and what he did in their life and what he promised he will do. And this is true of the disciples, but it's also true for us that we are called to the same thing that he is saying, when you become a follower of Christ, you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. We took turns preparing and sharing our testimony with each other. We walked through and we all took time to, to tell our story of what God's done in our life and how we got to the place where we are now. And for some of us in the group, we, some of us had never even told our story before verbally. And we shared it. And what you'll learn and what we learned in the community group is from spending that time investigating our story, investigating what God has done and, and learning about our witness, we learn more about who God is and how he's been working in ways we never even realized before. So we, we investigated our story, we shared our story, and now as we're a group studying, living an intentional life, now we are prepared to tell that story to others. So I would challenge you here today, if you've never even thought about your story, thought about your testimony, I would challenge you to just sit down and write it out. And you'll be surprised of how much God reveals to you of what he's done, things we never even realized he was doing. And maybe you could just take a friend and say, hey, I'm not sharing the gospel with you. I just want to verbally tell my story. Would you listen to it? And maybe you could hear some things that God's done in my life that I, I can't even realize unless I verbally. So he's called us to tell the story that we would testify to who he is in his nature and what he has done in our life. That we would testify to this good news. But you know, when you think about sharing the good news, sharing the gospel, you, there's a couple of words that we hear frequently that we're like, what do those words mean? And I, I wanted to find them like this. The first one is evangelism. Evangelism is the sharing of the good news as it addresses the needs and desires of those who know they are in a bad situation. 
They know they're in a bad situation, that evangelism is the sharing of the gospel, the sharing of the good news, and it's best received by people who know they're in a bad situation, that they are receptive to hear this information. Now, what this is not saying is we don't not share the gospel with people that aren't ready to receive it, but it's going to be much more fruitful if we share the gospel with people who are ready to receive. And I think the best type of evangelism is relational evangelism, that we invest, like we talked about last week, in such a way that we are living life on a street level with people to where we can discern through the Holy Spirit when that moment is to share the good news. Now, we can share the good news with somebody who's not ready to receive it, and God can be fruitful and has been fruitful many times by planting that seed, and then later in life, they come to faith. But Evangelism is the sharing of the good news to those who know they're in a bad situation. The other part of that is apologetics. Apologetics is pre-evangelism in that it addresses those who do not realize they're in a bad situation and therefore do not see the gospel as the good news that it is. So in 1 Peter, it talks about that we should always be prepared to give an answer or always be prepared to give a defense. And the word that comes from is literally apologetics. Like we should always prepare to give an apologetic, a defense for our faith. So when we're talking to someone who's not ready to receive the gospel, we're talking about in a winsome and general respectful way what it is we believe. The problem is when we think about apologetics, sometimes we think, hey, I need to find the best way to win this argument, right? But that's not what the gospel is calling us to. We're not called to win arguments we're called to win hearts. And that looks very different on how we talk and we live out and apologetic to those who don't know, do not know Jesus. I think as we invest in people, we're combining evangelism and apologetics. And as I talk about both of these, I know some of you are like, I don't think I'm ready to do either one of those things. I'm not, I may not be ready to share the gospel with someone. I may definitely not ready to defend it to someone in a winsome way, but here's the difference. If I asked you to go talk about a subject, you may be nervous to talk about the subject because you're just doing it on your own research and your own time. But here's the difference. We have something in our apologetics and our evangelism that no one else has outside of followers of Christ. And it, it was there in Acts 1-8, the power of the Spirit that comes with our witness. That we have the power of the Spirit. And I, I say it like this, that the supernatural fuel that ignites our apologetics and evangelism is prayer that we have something through the power of the Spirit that no one else has, that we can pray, that we can contend, that we have this fuel that is poured on, that we're not just working with our words, but we are partnering with the power of God to move through us in prayer. That we have this supernatural fuel that ignites in us the things to say, the things not to say, the things when to say them. And sometimes it's just prayer and it never comes from us at all. We're just interceding. Look what First Timothy says. It says this, I urge you, first of all, that all petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. The first thing I want you to see this is this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he tells them, hey, I want you to petition. I want you to pray. I want you to pray intercessory prayers and thanksgiving and for all, all people. He, he specifically points out kings and all those in authority as well, but he says all people. He doesn't just say just kings. He says all people. So he says we should intercede for others, intercede for others. And what that literally means is praying for someone else. Er, earlier in worship, when we were praying, when you prayed to the left, you were interceding for the person to your left. You were interceding for the person to the right. You're literally standing in the gap for someone else. 
On Mondays, when we have our prayer requests, we come in as a staff and we intercede for you. We come and lift those prayers up. We contend for you. We stand in the gap for you. In fact, I came in this room yesterday and I prayed over every single prayer, uh, prayer over every single chair in here. I didn't pray for you by name, but I prayed for you by chair and I prayed this, that God would move in your heart today, that you would remember how much he loves you and that that love would well up out of you and you would go share that with someone else. I interceded for you. I prayed for you. The next thing I want you to see is when we pray these type of prayers, when we intercede, because what I specifically want you to see is this intercession. We can intercede for needs when, when your neighbor has cancer, when uh, the job loss comes, when any of those, those bad things happen, we can intercede for those. But what I want to specifically talk about here is interceding for the lost. And if you look at this passage, look at what it goes on to say, that when you pray for the lost, this is good and it pleases God that is pleasing to God's ear, that part of his nature, he wants to hear prayers for the lost. Because look what it says next. It pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. That one of the most pleasing fragrance to the Lord's ears is for us to intercede for the lost, for us to pray for those who do not know Jesus. That the Lord loves to hear those prayers. He loves to hear them for two different reasons. He loves to hear them because we have for a moment stepped out of ourselves and not pray just about our own needs and our own desires and our own wants and how we want the world to change around those things, which we should pray for our own. We should ask for those things. But for a moment, we step out and we spend our time in prayer for others. This is a selfless prayer that we're praying for God's kingdom to come, that we're praying. But more than that, God wants all people to be saved. And when he hears us meet him in that, he is joyful. So when we think about interceding, well, let me go to this next portion of the passage. It goes on to say this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ. So it goes on to say that God wants all people to save and there's one mediator between God and man and it's the man, Jesus Christ. You could go on to say there's one intercessor, one in between, someone who is contending for us and that is Jesus, that Jesus is interceding for us as we intercede for the lost. We'll talk about that more in just a second, but look at this. Interceding for unbeliever is praying the prayer that they don't know to pray for themselves. Interceding for unbelievers is praying the prayer they don't know to pray for themselves. We are contending for them when they do not know that they need to be contended for. They're at a place of not being ready to receive the gospel, and we're praying for them to be ready to receive the gospel. We are praying the prayer that they do not know to pray for themselves. Because prayer is that power to move hearts. If we're trying not to win arguments, but win hearts, one of the greatest fuels of that is prayer. And we are contending when they don't know to contend for themselves. Earlier today at 8 o'clock, we had four baptisms. And we have a, another one later today. And Pastor Jeff is baptizing seven people in Israel today. All of those stories of God moving in their life and moving towards baptism, those testimonies were bathed in some form or fashion by somebody in prayer. Somebody interceded for them, whether they knew it or not. There was somebody along the way praying for their salvation. I didn't become a believer until my mid 20s, but when I was in high school, I was a pretty bad kid. I got in trouble all the time. I mean, I just lived in in-school suspension. That's just, that's just, that was my life. That was my testimony. 
And there was this teacher that every time I would see her, whether I'd be in her class or see her in the hall, she'd always say, Jacob, I think God has a different plan for your life. I'm like, yeah, maybe. But I gotta go do this bad thing real quick. (laughs) And then she would also see me and say, Jacob, I'm praying for you. Frequently, she would say that she was interceding for me. She had no idea what she was interceding for. She just knew that God had a different plan for us. She didn't know that in my 20s that God would redeem my life from the pit, call me out of sin, call me to be a faithful follower of Christ, but in the same time, call me to be a pastor. She had no idea what she was praying for. She was just faithful to pray, and I 100% believe that I wouldn't be here unless that teacher contended for me and interceded for me faithfully along with many other people. Because my story is that of people interceding because there is intercession. Where there's intercession, there is power. And years later, I saw her at a wedding. I saw her there, I was like, I can't believe she's here. And I went up to her and I said, you won't believe this. She was probably thinking like, you're in jail? Is that what you're about to say? (laughs) She said, I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, a what? And tears in her eyes, tears in my eyes, we hug there and we thank God for her faithful prayers. So we are called to intercede for the lost. But what I want to show you is some encouragement here. Look at this, Pat. Look at this. Jesus is always interceding for his people. That Jesus is always at the right hand of the Father interceding for us as followers of Christ. What is Jesus doing between the time he went to heaven and the time he returns? The answer is praying. For us as believers. Let me show you that in scripture. Look what Romans says. It says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. We have no condemnation. Why? Because Christ Jesus died. More than that, was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He is contending for us at this very moment. How encouraging is that? That Jesus is right now praying to the Father on our behalf. Look at this. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate or an intercessor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Look at this. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come uh, to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. It is his very nature to intercede for us, that he is praying for us, that he, that when we are being changed into Christ's likeness, when we're being compared to share the gospel, that comes from Jesus currently interceding as our advocate, as our mediator for us on our behalf. What an encouraging truth that Jesus is right now praying for us, that his intercession is a model for us in scripture, that he models the power for us, which leads us to this. That sharing about Jesus is in a direct relationship to our personal discipleship. That our growth in Christ's likeness is directly connected to our sharing of the gospel. What I mean by that is this. You may be here through this series and be like, man, I I need to share the gospel, people. I need to share the gospel. I've got to do this. That as the Lord is interceding for us and changing our heart on our behalf, as he's changing us into his heart, that we would move from a place that I have to share the gospel to a place of I get to share the gospel. That it is the treasure hidden from all ages and it has been given to us and we have that to give to others. That he would transform our heart through his intercession, that he would transform our heart, that we know that we can share Jesus more clearly. Because here's the truth, that you and I are apologists and evangelists. 
In fact, I would argue that the whole world is evangelists and apologists, but the question is to what? What are we evangelists and apologists to? What are we ready to give a defense to? What are we ready to share good news about? Sometimes it's little things like, hey, have you watched this show before? Oh, no, I've never seen that show. Can you tell me all about it? Oh, yeah, season one is like this. Don't, don't worry, it's bad things. Season one, we push through season two. It's not as much bad things. You go through in season three. It's so awesome. You better go and do it. It's very easy for us to share about things that are passionate on our heart. Oh, how's your team doing? They say, oh, they're really good. Let me tell you how good they are. Bop, 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 bop. We're very passionate to share about an apologist, an evangelist for things in our life. We're very quick to share about things in our heart, something we love. But let me show you this from Matthew 22. Jesus replied, this is Jesus talking, he says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Let me explain it to you like this. If you ask me about something I love, I can talk to you about that pretty accurately and pretty quickly. If you ask me about my fantasy football team, I can tell you pretty quickly how we're gonna turn it around. It's gonna be good, it's gonna be fine. And why my bench is better than yours. If you ask me about Lord of the Rings, I can tell you every single thing you need to know and more to where you're like, Jacob, that's a little much. Because you're asking me about something I love. But if you ask me about someone I love, I can talk for days and days. If you ask me about my sons, I can tell you days for days all the awesome things about them. In fact, I can tell you some of the things that aren't so awesome that we're working through. If you ask me about my one-year-old daughter, I can tell you so many things about her. You ask me about my wife, I can tell you more than anybody on this planet about her because I love her. You ask me about someone I love. And that's what God's getting at through giving us this word, that we should love the Lord with our whole heart, that we realize that he loves us. He loves us enough to send his son to die for us. And that love compels us even more in our personal discipleship to love him more and more. And as someone asks us about our faith, we should be talking about someone we love and we can't help but telling others about it. Because what happens next? We love the Lord God with all our heart and then it drives us to love the neighbor as ours from this vertical love to this horizontal love. And when you say vertical and horizontal, it looks a lot like the cross because our life should look a lot like the cross. This vertical and horizontal love to love our neighbor as our self. Look what Richard Foster says, I love this quote. If we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. One of the best ways to love your neighbor is on your knees. That we contend and intercede for them, that we would love them in such a way that transforms their hearts as our heart is being transformed. So you're like, okay, Jacob, I get it. We should intercede that we have lost people in our life. So, so who exactly should I be praying for? How should I be praying? Where I should be praying? Well, let's look at Acts 1-8 again. I want to show you something. So we receive power. We get the power from the Holy Spirit. It comes to us and we will be witnesses. We will begin to testify with how we live our life and the words coming out. And where will we do it? We will do it in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When you look at this biblical model for what this witness looks like, it starts with the small, the locale, and then it moves out forward. What I want you to see is that God is sovereign over locale. 
He is sovereign over where we plant our feet, where our homes are. He is sovereign over where we go and how it flows out that we all have this circle of influence in our life, which shows us to this, that God never gets the address wrong. And you may have heard me say that before because I truly believe it, that you are where you are for a reason, that God planted you there for a reason. Jacob, what's the reason? To be missionaries, to testify to those around you. That in this circle of influence that God's put us in, and we all have the circle of influence, it flows out, but the place that it starts is our home. Our home is the place where we are called to first and foremost be investing and interceding. So like in my house, I have four children. None of them have, they understand the gospel. They're walking through the gospel, some of them, the older ones, but they have not taken hold of this truth yet. But I intercede for them. I have no control over when they come to know the Lord. I can give them the good news. I can bring them to church. I can put other Christians around them, but I have no control over when they come to know Jesus. But what I can do is pray for them. So what I do is try to do the habit of just taking one of their names in the week and just put it in my pocket and praying. This week, I'm gonna pray for Jesus. I'm gonna pray for him to come to know the Lord and pray for his story and then go to the next one that I would intercede for them. Or maybe you have older kids and they've either never come to know the Lord or they've walked away from the faith. Or we may have parents who do not know Jesus. Some of us are praying for our parents, but what I wanna tell you today is I know whether it be kids who have never come to the Lord, whether it be small kids, whether it be older kids that have walked away from the faith, whether it be parents or family members, I know, trust me, I know that that is a heavy, heavy burden. But I want you to see this, that unbelieving family members are not your burden to bear, but it is your prayer to pray that we have no control of the salvation of others, that we cannot save anyone, but we can contend for them and pray. So my encouragement to you is wherever you fell in that story of family members, don't stop praying. We may never see the fruit, but we're never called to be the ones creating fruit. We're the ones who are called to be faithful. Keep contending, keep interceding, keep praying and let God take care of the rest. That our primary place is praying in our home and then our circle of influence flows from that. So if you look at it like this, so if this is our circle of influence, you see as we study this passage, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, we have a similar circle of influence that God has called us to people that he's placed around us. So this is our local, this is our mission strategy here because it's designed around Acts 1-8 that how do we mobilize people from their front door to the ends of the earth? That they're compelled to share the gospel from the end of their street to the ends of the earth. So we have our neighbors that God has directly placed around us, our neighborhood, our broader uh, group of people that were placed around or our apartment complex. A lot of times people say, I don't know any lost people. Were there, I guarantee you in your neighborhood or your apartment complex, there are people who do not know Jesus. I guarantee it. 
Then we move to our community. Our community is our rhythms of life that we have of the store you most frequent, your kids' sports team, your school, your work. This is part of your broader community where God has called you to. And then our city, the specific locale of a city God has placed us in. And then this nation and then to the world. When you look at this, our do-good local strategy really uh, comes down to these four. It is your neighbors, your neighborhood, your community, and your city. The first three of these is on us as individuals. It is up to me to reach through the power of God, the people directly around me, to reach my neighborhood, to reach my community, where we meet you as a church. We, we equip you to do these things, but we meet you in the city to invest in education, restore the homeless, and feed the hungry. But these first three start with us, and then we will also help you get to the nations and get to the world. So when you think about this, if we were to zoom into the neighbors, think about this, this is your house. This is where God placed you, and if it's true that God never gets the address wrong, that means you live here for a reason. So let me ask you this. Let's go to the next one. You have these spots in your notes. You have one, two, three. Number one being this. Do you know the name of everybody who lives around you? Yes or no? If you do, write it down as the first number there. Do you know their name? If you don't know their name, that's your project. I'm going to learn the name of the people God placed around me. Because here's the truth. Sharing the gospel with someone is more than knowing their name. But it's 100% not less. Praying for someone around you is more than knowing their name, but it's not less. To specifically lift someone up by name. Number two, what do you know about them? What do you know about them besides they drive a red car and they get in their garage really fast when they get home? (laughs) What do you know about them? Where do they work? How many kids do they have? What's their kids' names? Do they have kids out of the house? What do you know about them? How have you invested to learn these things? And number three, what is their spiritual state? It's hard to know where to take someone unless you know where they are. But what I want you to see from this is not, it's just to convict you that we're placed where we are for a reason. And here's the thing, if you want to change the world, it doesn't start up high and come down low. It doesn't start in Washington and flow down to your house. It starts at your house and flows up. You wanna change the world, pray and invest in your family then turn and teach them to pray and invest in the neighbors and have them invest in each other. You want to change the world, it starts small and goes up, not the other way around. That what would it look like if we were to all say, you know what, at least the three people around me, I'm going to invest and I'm going to pray until the Lord takes me on. What would the world look like then? Because look at this. Look what Corey Tim Boom says. We never know how God will answer our prayers, but when we, what we can expect is that he will get us involved in his plan for the answer. If we are true intercessors, we must be ready to take part in God's work on behalf of other people for whom we pray. When we pray, we pray, Lord, open up a door for me to be able to share the gospel with my neighbor. But Lord, as I'm praying and I faithfully pray, open the door for me be, to be able to love them with my life and then let the gospel flow from that. The last thing I want you to see is this. Gardening always precedes the harvest. Gardening always precedes the harvest. I'm not a farmer, but I know enough to be dangerous. But you have to work the ground. You have to plant the seed. Then you have to toil and garden for the seed to grow. That as we're investing in people, this is the gardening. And God takes care of the harvest. As we pray and intercede, this is the gardening and God takes care of the harvest. God calls us to be faithful and he takes care of the fruitful. And as we think about this, this gardening, 
that I wouldn't be standing here today unless someone did the gardening. They never saw the fruit, but they did the contending, they did the intercession, and they did the prayer. And I ask you this, who is the Jacob in your life? that one day through your intercession may come to be a pastor or may be called to be a missionary or even better than that would be a faithful follower of Christ because of your intercession meeting God's power. So it's easy for us to talk about these things, to talk about interceding in prayer. This is what we're gonna do for the rest of the time. For the next five minutes, we are literally going to pray. We talked about the circle of influence. What we're gonna do, there's gonna be slides on the side and we are going to pray through each one of those circles. We are going to contend and intercede together. So we're gonna put a slide on the screen and for about 30 seconds, we're gonna pray through that. And after you're, while you're praying through that, turn and pray for your neighbor and their neighbors. We're gonna pray for God to move. We're gonna pray for him to have a revival in our hearts and in our neighborhoods, in our cities and a renewal of hearts for Jesus. We're gonna pray right now. Let's put the first slide up there. We're gonna pray for the salvation of the people in our home and our family who either have walked away from the faith or have never come to know it. let it be so. We now move to pray for our neighbors or our apartment complex, our neighborhood, our larger group of people that you've placed us in. God, move. let it be so. We pray for our community, the salvation of the people you've placed in our life at our kids' schools or our workplace or anywhere in the community we frequent, the person at the store we always go to. Lord, we pray for the salvation of our broader community. Let it be so, Lord. Lord, you've placed us in a city. Lord, we pray for you to bring a revival in this city and a renewal of hearts, Lord. We pray for the salvation of our cities. pray for our nation, Lord. We pray for the people in our nation who do not know you. We pray for our leaders, Lord. We pray for our church planting partners in Miami, Phoenix, and Atlanta who are reaching the lost by raising up new churches, Lord. We lift up this nation to you, Lord, so that salvation would come.
Lord, let it be so. Lord, we pray for this world, all those who either have never even heard the name of Jesus, Lord, but those who have heard the name and have resisted, Lord, I pray that you would overcome their hearts. We pray for the world, Lord, and we pray for the work that Justice and Mercy is doing internationally to get that gospel out. Father, we say, let it be so, because that is our amen, Lord, because we know that you have the power to do these things, Lord. We believe that you have the power through your spirit to allow us to be your witnesses, Lord, that you would light us on fire here today. I pray everybody in this room or watching online, you would light us on fire for the gospel, Lord. You would remind us how much you loved us, and that love would compel us to love our neighbor in the same way, that we would go out of our way to love the way you loved us, who came and died for us. Lord, you willingly gave of yourself. Let us willingly give of ourselves. Let us take away all fear to share the gospel, all fear to pray for our neighbors, Lord. Send us as your people to change the world, starting with our home and going to the end of the street, all the way to the ends of the earth. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app or follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. See you next time.